What's up, everybody? It's Tinnitus Awareness Week, and we're here. How I got tinnitus. Tinnitus. Going at it. Man, I love that song. You know what else I love? Talking about tinnitus. And we're going to do a bunch of it this week because, like I said, it's Tinnitus Awareness Week. So happy Tinnitus Awareness Week, y'all. Tall! That's what we call it. Tall! Yeah, uh, super excited. I'm going to be putting up three episodes in one week. That's crazy. Might be a little overboard, but you know what? This is our time to shine, y'all, so why not throw it out there? First interview up, it's with my buddy Frank Wardinger. He's an audiologist and hearing conservationist. He's also the host of the Talking Ears podcast. Have you listened to Talking Ears? Shout out, Talking Ears. Yeah, I don't know how much you've been uh, tuned into the whole tinnitus talking space on the old intranet lately. But I wasn't the only podcast to publish an interview with Dr. Bruce Hubbard. Nope. You know who else did it just before me? Frank. We're neck and neck right now. You know, we may be talking about the same thing, more or less. I mean, to be fair, his is more hearing health oriented and mine is more specifically oriented towards tinnitus. We're two totally different shows. Frank and I have been having this back and forth for a couple months now, and we both like to gush about how much we love one another's shows. I like Frank's show because it, well, one, it sounds really good. It sounds super professional, and it's all fancy schmancy. He gets some cool, really snazzy guests on the show. He and Juan are doing some amazing stuff on that show. It's really fun to listen to. Uh, if you haven't already... Go check out the Talking Ears podcast. But like I said, it's Tinnitus Awareness Week. Lots going on. I'm going to be doing this cool tabling event for tinnitus awareness at school. Called up the American Tinnitus Association and they hooked me up with some informational materials to spread out. I'm just going to be this nerdiest tinnitus guy sitting at a desk in my town that day. Um... Just spreading the good word. And yeah, we've got some other good shows coming up this week, so stay tuned. Uh, I don't want to waste a bunch of time. We're going to get right into it. But first, you know what time it is. Yep, disclaimer time. Just want to make sure we're on the same page here. This show is not a substitute for medical advice. Okay? You got me? I'm not going to go off like I usually do. I'm just going to keep it short here today. Medical disclaimer, just general disclaimer. Just, just be aware. I'm merely a civilian, a tinnitus enthusiast. I'm just doing my thing here. I'm going to school to see what I can do to help folks with tinnitus down the road. But today, I'm 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 just a normal person. And Frank, today, he's an audiologist, but but I'm not. So while we're having these conversations, this is just two people. Throwing it back and forth. Just a bunch of ideas, 
just going out there in the air. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into some specifics here, talk about some kooky stuff, but just please, this show and the things we talk about it are not a substitute for medical advice, okay? So enough of that, let's get into the interview with Frank. One thing that I wouldn't mind you actually catching me saying on your episode is uh, I appreciate, and I said a version of this when you were on my show, but I appreciate so much that you're able to do that funny, do that lighthearted thing. I don't, I can't bring myself to do it. I don't know what my hang up is, but I end up producing this show that <clears throat> isn't the kind of show that I actually enjoy listening to. Right. It's a very like buttoned up, um, serious conversation. I enjoy those serious conversations, but as a listener, I'm always wanting to hear people who are just smiling and just having a good time. And, and, you know, doesn't matter if everything's pristine and clean, like, so I'm trying to bring a little bit of that into my show to, but it's hard for some reason. I have a hang up on it. And I think the hang up is, and this goes back to your whole, like, going back to school thing, I think the hang-up is is that there is this weight of having to present yourself as, like, now an expert. Yeah. The weight of, okay, well, take it seriously because you're talking about people's lives here and you're talking about people's stories. And um, so I have to put on that, like, I'm an expert hat. Um, And that professionalism, I think, makes it hard for me to to then just like have a good time and and do the do the relaxed thing as well. So I I really do have, um, you know, we talk about having a a, a, um, rivalry (laughs) between our shows, but like I really do have a lot of admiration for your show and that and that you're able to do that, especially with the subject. Yeah, when when I first got it, I tried to turn to stand-up comedy. I I, I tried to do anything that wasn't in front of a loud amp, you know. Mm. And uh, I felt like the best thing I could do was like make jokes about it. I'm still working on the the, the functionality of joke making, but <laughs> yeah, I I just everyone stresses to me the importance of of minimizing. Mm-hmm the impact that tinnitus has on your life. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do what all the bullies did to me in school to make me feel minimized. I'll make fun of it. So. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's one approach. And honestly, it probably works really well. Um, I feel like my approach, I didn't know what I was doing at first with, with it because I was a teenager. Um, But like my approach was like, uh, well, first, ignore it, run away from it, you know, make bad life choices based on it. And then when I finally wanted to, like, face it head on, I decided to, like, learn everything I could about it. I did this. I did. And it's very atypical for me. It's not like fitting in my personality, but I, like, went out and bought used audiology textbooks. Oh, my gosh. Weird. Like, I was in I was in music school. I was, like, working as a musician, and I went out and found, like, some used audiology textbooks just to read about this stuff that was going on with my ears. And then that snowballed and, like, worked its way into my brain enough that I went, like, now I'm going to go to grad school, I guess. Like, how did this happen? It was so – it was so – strange and convoluted and it happened so quickly that I was just like well now I need to I need more I need more information I need more knowledge about it and 
you know? Uh, uh, so kind of, I did the opposite of that instead of like ignoring it or minimizing it. I like <laughs> refocused my entire life and brain on it. And, um, for me, I guess that worked. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of get, like letting it get out of hand, we need to backpedal a bit. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Frank, uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about tinnitus. You, 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 you say you ha- you've had it since you were a kid, since oh, a teenager. God. Teenager. So uh, 13 or 14. I haven't really battened down exactly when, but I remember the, <clears throat> I remember the concert where I first heard it. Um, so yeah, since, since a kid, yeah. What concert? Oh, um, I wish it was a cooler story. It was a battle of the bands that I was playing. Oh um, no, those are sick. Yeah, it was great. It was at like some, this community center. Uh, we played it a couple years already. I had a couple bands at this time. I had like this really hilariously loud, uh, punk rock band. We played like no FX and Thursday and um, <clears throat> probably Blink-182 and Nirvana and stuff like that a lot. Um, but that wasn't the band. This the, the one, the concert that I remember hearing the tinnitus afterwards for the first time was with this four-piece jazz group that I had with my brother, my best friend who played drums on it, and his brother. Um, so it was two brothers, and we played like, take five like uh, we played these like jazz songs as if we were cool um but we were like you know 13 or 14 and but it was loud because we everything was amplified and it was at a battle of the bands and we played for an hour or whatever however long you play and i went home and i remember very very specifically i remember the feeling of laying in bed and thinking it was kind of cool that i could still hear the concert no oh that God. was the the thought that I had in my head, it wasn't a negative experience. It was like, oh, cool, I can still hear the concert. It's like, meh. And it just had this noise. And I just thought of it as like an echo or like a reverb of the concert. And then I realized after a couple of weeks, I was like, it's still there. What? Why? Uh, that It stopped being like fun pretty quickly when I realized wow. that. And then I also noticed like after rehearsals with the with either band, um, it would ramp up and just be like screeching, screaming, and to the point where I, I uh, told my mom I need to go to the doctor about this and go see an audiologist, and I was freaking out about it at the stage. So um, <clears throat> stop being fun really quick. <laughs> that is wild to think that, I mean, I, I don't know Teenage Frank, but uh, my bands were really freaking loud, and we would practice for obscene lengths of time i think i might have told you the story about uh setting up for rehearsal one day and just because we didn't know anything about setting tone or levels i cranked my marshall half stack all the way to 10 i dimed the whole thing and i remember putting my ear in front of the speaker and like hitting a thing and i was like i still can't i can't hear it. it's like not making sense and it took years for me to get it. So um, it's it, it's wild to hear that you've been dealing with it from such an early age. And for, yeah. it seems like noise induced. Oh, yeah. Well, at least that's kind of that's my rundown of it. And I think I don't want to get too sciencey, but there's there is this thought 
that there's some people who are more susceptible and less susceptible. Some people's ears are just more likely to get it with less exposure. Other people can go seemingly, you know, through hell and back with their ears and for some reason come out on the other side with pristine hearing and no tinnitus. And um, what does that? Nobody knows. Mm. We don't have a, we don't have a trigger. It's probably genetic. It's probably physiologic. There's probably something there, but we don't know. Um, but I guess my ears just, just got it early. And I was the first person in my bands to complain about this. I told everybody else half my, I mean, half my bandmates a year later, we all wore earplugs because we didn't know anything. We just knew, like I went to an audiologist my first time. I, again, I told my mom that I have to go to an audiologist, which, uh, it was weird. Well, I didn't tell her I have to go to an audiologist. I said, something's wrong. I need to get this checked out, which I mean, what 13 year old feels comfortable saying that to their parents? Um, <clears throat> you know, like I had to be pretty serious at the time I went and they fit me with, uh, musicians earplugs, the custom musicians earplugs. And I asked my mom just recently about this. Cause I was like, is this really what happened? What ran down? She goes, yeah, you, you said I need help. The guy said, this is the option. And you were in such distress that we went with it and got it for you. And then I wore them religiously for the next 10 years, the same pair, because I, and I told everybody um, that they got to wear earplugs around me. And, you know, when we were in bands and stuff together, half of them probably just rolled their eyes and didn't. That's fine. But I didn't know anything else. That was, that was the depth of what I understood about it. I was just talking with um, with someone else about this the other day. This the education aspect of it, and I'm not talking about this level that you and I are at, where we're talking about like all this super dorky stuff. I'm just saying, like we all know, we all know from an early age to wear sunblock at the beach, yeah. and and you might not do it, but you know you should. Yeah. But hearing protection. Perhaps that's changing now for a younger generation, but for people our age, it was not. We knew hearing protection existed, but it wasn't pressed upon folks as much as it could or should have been. And completely, yeah, what a yeah. wacky thing. It really is. And I feel like, like I hear a lot of people use the analogy of smoking, saying, like, we all understand the risk of smoking. You have to be, uh, <clears throat> You have to be living in a in under a rock to have not have heard that smoking can hurt you. Um, <clears throat> sunscreen. I mean, there was back when I was a kid, there was a song on the radio that said "Wear sunscreen," right? Remember that's that kind of annoying song. There's just a guy talking. No, uh, I don't remember that. I'll I'll look up what it is. It was like a radio was like, jingle. No, it was like a real. There was this annoying '90s song where this guy is just talking and he's as if he's doing like a commencement speech and he's saying like, and remember, wear sunscreen. This is my advice to you. And like the fact that we have that for that kind of thing, and there's absolutely nothing, that's probably a terrible example, but there's absolutely nothing about that for, you know, how to protect your ears. It's just mm -hmm. ignored. Mm -hmm. um, it's too bad. And even, even getting the earplugs, I don't think I was told anything. I was just told, you know, well, now you have earplugs. Like, Go, go forth with this new tool. Yeah, it's, it's, I get, I get frustrated about that sometimes, but then I remember um, nobody wants to be told to do something that's unfun and for safety. Right, so, right. So, 
you know, I, I don't, I don't really blame people <laughs> for not telling teenagers because they, they probably wouldn't listen. That's an important thing too that you brought up, and it was my experience. And I'm not trying to throw any shade mm-hmm. towards the uh, the professionals that I've worked with so far, but yeah, I got my earplugs and my custom fitted earplugs, and I still didn't really receive that much of an education about what are safe levels of sound. Um, and I still, I'm kind of surprised to admit that I still have all these questions about not just the volume, but the duration. This is a phrase that pops yeah. up a long time, a lot. Sometimes I wonder that the bulk of the damage that I did to myself wasn't standing in front of my amplifiers. It was mixing my terrible music with, uh, mm-hmm with headphones on for hours at a time, I would keep the volume pretty low, but um, I don't know. I just wonder how we could shift this education. I, like I said, I still don't know what are some of those parameters of safe volumes. I mean, I know that 85 decibels and up, but what is this duration thing? And, and how how can we uh, inform people on a day to day basis? Like how how can they apply this knowledge on their day in their daily lives? Yeah, it's it's a constant struggle, and I think what it comes to for me, it comes down to two big things. One is that it is not an intuitive scale, the decibel scale. It's not intuitive at all. When you think about like, well, what's a 50 decibel sound versus a 60 versus a 70 versus an 80? It it doesn't really line up with your perception of it. Like, for instance, I can tell you a 95 decibel sound is twice as dangerous as a 92 decibel sound. Why? Why would that small difference make a big difference? Versus a 70 decibel sound and a 73 decibel sound, twice as much sound energy, neither are dangerous. Hmm. All right. Well, that's not intuitive, right? It doesn't connect with our expectations of how this stuff works as people. So in that way, it makes it hard to explain because it's hard to connect to our lives. Like, for instance, the sunscreen thing, it's intuitive. You Hmm. don't wear sunscreen on the beach, you're going to get a sunburn, right? Depending on your skin, depending on how intense the sun is, depending on the duration that you're exposed to. And then intuitively, you can relate that. You can say, well, I'm outside at noon on the beach for one hour. That's I'm half as likely to get sunburned as if I was out for two hours. Mm. Right. And if I wear SPF, whatever, then it's reducing my amount by approximately that number that the SPF is. Okay. That's kind of intuitive. So it's easier. I think the other reason, though, is that it's it's painless. Right, Damage from noise is painless in your ear. It doesn't hurt in the moment. And it's invisible. Uh, you don't see anything, right? The sunburn is like, oh, I see it. I'm getting, I get the feedback right away that like something happened. I got to address it. Um, or maybe that's the thing I'm going for. Maybe I want to look sunburned or suntanned or whatever. Um, and then the last layer is that it happens over time. So you get that... What's the name of that bias? There's all those different kinds of psychological bias. I think it's the survivor bias um, where, you know, I had this experience, it was bad, and then it got better. So now I feel like the next time that it occurs, I can be, I'm going to be okay. 
And we've all experienced that by going to a concert as a kid. You come home and you maybe your ears ring a little bit. Maybe your t- hearing is a little bit muffled. And then two days later, you forget about it. It doesn't matter. You got better. And then you're, you learn, your brain is learning. This ain't a big deal. I don't have to worry about that. That wasn't a big deal. That's something maybe I have to worry about when I'm an old person, right? Is how kind of the young brain thinks about yeah. that. Because it just moves on to the next thing and that it wants to experience. So I get it. I, 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 you know, I don't want to just answer. If you want, I'll just answer the question directly. But I, instead, I'm just reflecting on the fact that this is hard to explain and it's hard to understand. And that is why it's so tough to... In my work as a hearing conservationist, teach people this. Mm. It's hard. It takes time. It takes experience. It takes um, it takes experience for the person to learn it correctly. Because otherwise, mm. they they don't um, just the words don't don't make it make sense too easily. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I understand it somewhat better now. But this, uh, you you can probably say it more succinctly that it. It's logarithmic. It's it's on the logarithmic scale. Anytime someone said that, I was like, "That's math." I I don't have exactly. I, I can't. Yeah, and so exactly. I would. Just... It sounds like nerd talk and math, and it stops being relatable. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's on the logarithmic scale. I I guess I mean I'll go into it. Um, so you mentioned eighty-five decibels is dangerous, right? But then to fill in the the discussion of that, we say eighty-five decibels for eight hours in one day is potentially dangerous. But then there's another layer to that, which is that based on research of people who are exposed over an entire career, meaning 40 years of work, if they were exposed at 85 decibels for the average of an eight-hour work shift, then they had a risk of noise-induced hearing loss at the end of their career. So that's why we say 85 is dangerous, because there was research that showed 7% of people at the end of a long career had hearing loss if they're exposed for 85 decibels every single day. Does that mean that if you experience 85 decibels for the next five minutes, you're risking your hearing? No. Those are Mm -hmm. two separate statements. So how do we then explain or rationalize a current action for an individual with this, all we have is long-term research. How do mm. we connect those two pieces? That's where it becomes really tricky, and getting too deep into the weeds, I think, actually hurts our ability to um, to communicate these thoughts. Mm. Mm. Do you? Okay, so do I? Am I hearing that we need more research that serves like a, a less long-term? Do we need to to have better understanding of what's going on in the shorter term right now? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's correct. I think it would be nice to have some better research, some more updated research about short term um, acute noise insults. Right, you go to a concert, what happens to your ears? Does that translate into long term damage? That would be really helpful. Um, where I'm kind of left personally is that you know there's people out there who are experts in how to package this information package health information and uh, communicate that information to the public Hmm. and i i know that there's those people in audiology and hearing health 
Um, I just don't think that we're doing as good of a job as we could be doing. And I'm not insulting all the great work that has been done, you know, the National Institute of Health, uh, Noisy Planet, Dangerous Decibels, all of these organizations do a really good job trying and they've made headway. But we just need to be as good at explaining this problem as we are explaining smoking risk and sunscreen and and seatbelts and like all the other safety things that like as a culture we've just kind of like we've dealt with we tolerated we moved on to the next <laughs> public health problem uh, because of good health communication mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that really is missing and you know even me I'm having trouble explaining or clearly concisely explaining right this, why we need to worry about this or think about it but so, and that's an interesting thing that you touched on. You've already referred to yourself in this conversation as a hearing conservationist, whereas my pleb mind would want to refer to you as an audiologist. I've heard of educational audiologists. I've heard of musician or music audiologists. Mm-hmm. There's, there seems to be so this whole rainbow in inside the field of audiology, and I don't think a lot of people understand that. It's, it can be very specialized. Oh, hugely specialized. Um, I'll take a minute to, to answer that, definitely. Um, so I would say clinically, I'm a music audiologist because I work with musicians and music industry professionals on their hearing and monitoring needs. So that's clinically kind of my main <clears throat> my main situation now. I also teach hearing conservation, which is kind of this older term that really means hearing loss prevention. Um, I teach that for occupational health uh, professionals, and so we generally call ourselves hearing conservationists for people who are nerdy and geeky about this hearing loss prevention stuff. And I like that term, I really do, because it's conservation of the hearing that you have today. So like JD, the hearing you've got today. Frank, the hearing I've got today. We can arrest the damage and make sure that it doesn't get worse moving forward with hearing conservation. Um, so I think that's why I like that term. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned, oh my gosh, there's so many other fields. Um, uh, my spouse is a vestibular audiologist. All she does is balance testing, right? And that's a completely yeah. different field of audiology. I have friends who only work with cochlear implants, friends who only work with hearing aids, and they might call themselves hearing aid audiologists. Uh, educational audiologists work in the school. I used to be a pediatric audiologist. I used to just work a lot with kids. Um, so there's, it's a cool field. It's a rainbow. I like the way that you put that. Um, but um, I hope I, maybe that confuses people who are who are hearing us talk to that maybe like, oh, this person isn't the same as that person because of their title or whatever. Well, the, I mean, what do you think about that? Is it are you different? Do, do you, you, well, you, we were one time talking about how you don't even understand what your spouse does. Like you don't understand the work that they're doing. And, yeah, and I took, I took the same grad school classes in vestibular audiology, but, um, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she'll come home and, and tell a story about a patient and it'll use acronyms that I've forgotten f- 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just have, I, am aware generally speaking of the concepts and it's it's uh it's a joke that we have in audiology it's not a good joke but i'll share it anyway <laughs> that the inner ear is kind of a duplex um 
like apartment building, right? There's mm. there's the cochlea, which is the hearing side of things, and then there's the vestibular system, which includes that wacky, flippity-looking uh, semicircular canals that looks like a gyroscope, and that thing is that thing is a whole. I don't even know what's going on on that side of the building building there's something else going on i kind of focus on my i keep my house clean you know um yeah i don't know if that answers your question no no no, it's good i think it's good to have a better understanding because i mean as much respect as i have for the field of audiology i'll admit from time to time i'm i oversimplify it and i think like you know these folks know hearing blah 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 what else do they you know i i don't know i i I, no disrespect to the field i just there's so much i don't know and uh and which is why the questions i'm gonna ask will never slow down i feel like i just keep having more questions we spoke a while back because you responded to a question i posed in the middle of one of my episodes which is what is that wacky transient tinnitus that seems to come out of nowhere and then go away? And you wrote to me and said it's called transient ear noise. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it. I think I probably because I'm I'm just this person. I probably sent you a uh, like a link or an article or something even. But um, the short answer because it's the most common question that I get from from patients too is you know why does my ear every once in a while go beep? And then it lasts for 30 seconds or a couple minutes. And my hearing is always muffled at the same time. And it only happens in one ear at a time. And it happens a couple times a day or maybe once a week or maybe it happened once last year. And then suddenly again, what does it mean? And my answer is it means nothing. It means you're alive. That's good. Because most people who are alive get it. <laughs> most mm-hmm. humans uh, experience it. So it's got two names. Um, I like using the name Pings. P-I-N-G-S, ping, because that's kind of what it feels like. It feels like somebody just goes ping in your yeah. ear, like somebody like flicked a, like a fork, mm-hmm. a tuning fork in your ear. Um, the proper, <laughs> I laugh because the proper um, scientific name has the worst acronym ever. It's, I'll, I'll say the name first. It's a spontaneous benign or spontaneous brief unilateral tapering tinnitus, which then goes out to s b u t t s but s bud <laughs> so i mean i that's why i use the word ping with patients because i'm like i don't i don't want to say s but in front of somebody over and over um why would they do that I, I i've i've been delving into this realm of like science acronyms and it seems like a lot of work is put into coming up with one that can like catch people's attention mm-hmm. I don't, that seems like a weird choice for sure, but yeah, it's either somebody, it's either like a thousand IQ move where it's, it's hilarious. So it like, it's grabby and it's funny or it's like the person doing it was just like, what, that was the right acronym for the, like they, they completely missed the fact that they wrote the word, but on a scientific paper. But I still haven't gotten what I feel is a satisfactory answer to what the heck is that noise? What's causing it, Frank? Oh, so there's so <laughs> I think it's still theoretical. That's I think the reason why there's not a satisfactory answer. Um, the theory that I like is that all the capillaries in your ear are extremely small. 
So capillary being the smallest blood vessel and then like a single blood cell could be possibly about the same size as the capillary and it could like an inner tube on a lazy river turn sideways and get stuck. And then briefly that section of the inner ear could have hypoxia or low oxygen. Mm. And so it's reacting in like a ah kind of way. Mm. It's just literally going like ah, something's wrong. And then the blood pressure builds up behind it naturally after 30 seconds to a, two minutes or whatever and the blood flow starts again and it all comes back and it's no big deal and this could happen periodically in the same spot of the cochlea which is why we would get the same pitch mm. because that capillary is the physical issue mm. so that's one theory i like that one because i like the visual of the lazy river personally the other theory is that there's a little tiny muscle there's a lot of little tiny muscles and ligaments inside your middle ear um, and that there's one in particular that might be every once in a while just kind of doing a little freak out and just spasming. And we are hearing either the neural signature of that or the spasm is literally causing that muffling and we're hearing the spasm of the, mu of the muscle. Either way, it's benign. It means nothing. It's just it's like how your arm itches every once in a while or your eye twitches every once in a while. It doesn't mean anything. It just... Is weird that we're human. I'm still suspicious on that one, but I'm going to take your word for it. I'm going to take your word for it. Um, like there's been, yeah, there's been some good studies about it, but there's just no, like, as far as my understanding, there's nobody who's put a flag down and said, this is the absolute cause. Mm. But everybody agrees that humans get it. And if you're human and you're alive, you're going to get it. It's, and it means nothing. There's people with no hearing who experience this. Oh, people okay. with genital deafness who experience this. There's people who have never had noise exposure who experience this. There's people with tinnitus and noise exposure who experience it and then point to it and say, that's my tinnitus ramping up. Mm -hmm. and that's the, that's the risk is if you think that it's not benign, if you think that it means something, then you point to it and say, and I'm worried about it. And that's what I worry about. That's not, that's not helpful. Right. So, well, Sometimes it does sound like someone dropped a, a whole tray of forks in my already busy dish pit yeah. in the restaurant. You know, my my tinnitus is like just it's it's pretty rowdy these days. And when one of those shows up, I'm like, enough. We don't need more. We don't need more of this noise. Get out of here. Yeah. I, I mean, I I have remembered your words of encouragement that it's benign and i i assure myself that it is not in fact another voice joining the chorus of mm -hmm. screaming angels in my ear but um it's still weird um mm -hmm. but you mentioned spasms and weird muscles and this lazy river thing you know i thought it was so funny it happened to me if not last night two nights ago and i i was excited that it happened more recently and i would be able to address it with you there's various states in which this thing happens phenomenon uh usually when I'm drifting off into sleep and now when I'm going to sleep, I'm pretty aware because my ears against my pillow and I can, some, I can hear my tinnitus a little louder and everything, but how do I describe it? It's as if as I'm laying there going to sleep, I hear the ringing, right? Whee! 
and maybe part of my brain goes to focus on it. I'm not even talking about a worrying part. Just part of my brain goes, oh, there's that noise. And as I zoom in on it, it's almost like I'm looking at the wavelength in an oscilloscope. <laughs> like, and I'm looking at the 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 lines wiggling. And then suddenly it's like the wavelength gets really agitated and super tight. I don't understand oscilloscopes, so maybe I'm misrepresenting this. But then suddenly it's like the focus on my tinnitus gets very momentarily, very acutely intensified. And then I experience this sudden like shudder, like it goes, and I can almost feel like someone trying to move a heavy piece of furniture across a floor in my head. And it, it feels strange, like almost momentarily, like, like there was a physical disturbance somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that sound crazy? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, I think, and I don't like to just explain away something with a term, but it is really nice when a term is known for something that seems like, how could somebody possibly explain this? Um, I think what that is, is this thing called exploding head syndrome, which sounds horrible. <laughs> It sounds like the worst thing that you ever want to have happen to you in in your life. Um, but it's this completely, again, and I don't remember who said this joke. Um, it might be a Woody Allen joke. Um, the most beautiful three words in the English language aren't I love you. It's it is benign. Mm-hmm. Like, but that is another benign thing. And exploding head syndrome, at least as far as I think they understand it, is that experience of like kind of a, People describe like a whooshing or a sudden like loud banging sound or, or a, I've experienced this myself pretty often, I think regularly, where it's just kind of like, it sounds like somebody's taken like a volume knob on like one of those old TVs that's just blasting static and just cranks it up and then off. Yeah, real, real quick. Yeah. Where'd that come from? And usually it startles me awake, but apparently it's just some neural, just misfiring garbage in our brains. I mean, our brains are like such a complicated convoluted mess of wires and signals and stuff and like i don't know every once in a while like you just get gibberish Mm. and as you're falling asleep especially because your brain is trying to turn itself off Mm -hmm. just one more thing slips through and you're like what was that um there's another aspect to it which i thought was where you're going with it is the kind of the distorted volume of of the tinnitus as you're falling asleep. And I mean, I've, I've experienced this for years and years before kind of figuring out the best way to handle it myself. But now I, you know, just talk to patients about it. But when you're, when you lack external stimuli, external um, cues as to what actual volume is or what actual levels in the real world are, and you're left alone to your own devices and all you can hear is your heartbeat against the pillow or, you know, the sniffling or, or whatever, um, or your tinnitus, those things seem extremely loud because relative to the background noise, they are right relative to the background noise. And this goes back to why it's so hard to communicate these core concepts of hearing health to individual to like the general public because um, we perceive the world in ratios we don't perceive the world in absolutes 
you know? You won't, you can't look at an actor and say that actor is six feet tall. You can look at a six foot tall actor and say they are taller than the other people around them, right? We, we don't perceive absolutes. We perceive the difference between two signals. Mm-hmm. And when your tinnitus is the only thing you can hear because you're falling asleep, here, I'll make it about me. When my tinnitus is the only thing I can hear because it's dead silent in my house and there's no rain and just like the baby monitors on silent and I'm, it's just nothing else except for me laying in bed with my blaring tinnitus. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to look away from it and like think, Oh, that's the same thing that I had all day and I didn't bother me then. So like, you know, what's the deal now? Why is it all of a sudden louder? And it's not louder. It's just your perception of it. Cause the ratio is off. Yeah. That, that, uh, Perceived loudness is a is a really interesting squirrely little bugger. It's uh, it is right because I know that one of my biggest fears in my early days was that it was just going to get louder and keep getting louder and keep getting worse and worse. Have you noticed since you first got it back when you were a kiddo? Has it changed over the years? And have you been able to, especially with your understanding, like? make any sense of your perceived changes in it? Yeah, it's such a good question. So I think I thought about this a lot back when I was in grad school. So like 15 years ago, I went back to school, wanted to get an audiology degree to understand all this stuff. And one of the first things I did, because I came out of like a music production world, producing stuff, recording stuff, engineering, mixing, and the one of the first things I did was I... I thought, well, why not make a sample of my own tinnitus? And maybe I, I don't know if we, you and I talked about this before, but I took like all of these sine wave generators and all of this like subtractive synth. I just learned all this stuff about the DX7. And so I was deep into like, like the synth synthesi- synthesizing of sound kind of world. Um, so I took all these generators and noise generators and tone generators and some, uh, all this stuff. And there was about 30 or so tracks. And I listened with an earplug in one ear and a headphone on the other ear. And I mixed, I tried to make a, a simile. I tried to make an analog of my tinnitus and I have this file. I can send it to you. So it's a binaural sound of my tinnitus and it's high pitch hissing there's low rumble tones there's all these different pitches around like 8,000 to 12,000 hertz that are just kind of like pulsing and doing kind of like a little annoying swirl like they're all out of tune with each other between the two ears it's really a mess it's horrible it's like why would you ever want to listen to that but in doing that I kind of took a uh, time capsule of it and I've listened back to that in the years since and it's like oh yeah that's it's like a friend. It like sounds exactly like my, it just sounds like what my, what my silence sounds like. Mm. It's so it's really interesting to listen to and reflect on the fact that it's like, this is a thing that's been with me since any of my adult friendships. It's just been a thing with me for the last over like 20 years now. Jeez. 
<laughs> so I mean, it's it's you prank it's a moment just, to do. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, let me just that's exploding head syndrome for a moment of a different type. No, but it's it's just been there, and it's it hasn't really done anything different. There were a couple times where it ramped up because I went to a concert or an event or I worked in a loud setting and you know forgot my earplugs or whatever and had some ramp ups kicked myself for a couple years about each of those but it it basically has come back to the same point of just a quiet roar or a you know horrible terrible stupid freight train that's just there Mm. Um, whatever you want to call it I mean I don't usually use negative words to associate with it um, kind of on purpose but I mean if I had to describe it to somebody it's not a fun nice sound you know yeah, I, I too, uh, try really hard to manage my language around it. Mm-hmm. I try very, like, I try to eliminate the term suffering from my vocabulary as far I agree as... agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I try not to generalize and refer to anyone else as, a, as someone suffering from it. I mean, if you are suffering, I, I'm more than sympathetic because... That sucks. Shit. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. sucks, but... Um, <laughs> The, the the more we can do to distance ourselves from that feeling. I mean, it is really wild to think, and we already talked about this with the genetic, the potential for a genetic predisposition for developing tinnitus when other people seem to just go deaf over time as a result of noise exposure and, and how... I don't know. It is just crazy. All the differences there. And then you even have people who generations of folks who've had, who've had ringing in their ears and they're like, Oh yeah, I've had that forever. And it never seemed to bother them. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of really uh, interesting avenues to explore there. Like I would be interested to see, a more nuanced study of those brain scans, which by the way, who's, is anyone going to work on a quiet fMRI machine? Like, is oh, it possible please. to have a MRI machine that's like uh quiet? Uh, I've, <laughs> it sounds like you've been in one of them too. I, oh, I, ha- I haven't, but I've, oh, I've you haven't? I had to take a couple and maybe this is even a, a, place that we'll get to with our conversation but i had to take a couple because of my back issue um and i was shocked each time and no offense to the to the radiologist but they would try to stick earplugs in my ears and both time no all three times they did it poorly and i had to put it in my ear myself um because that wouldn't have protected me and i i'm not going to let myself go through that in fact the third time i think i just brought my own I was like, I'm going to wear these silicone ear, custom earplugs. And are, is that okay? And they're like, oh, sure. All right. Where'd you get those? I'm like, it's <laughs> um, <laughs> um, But yeah, that would be nice. I don't really fully, I mean, that's one of the, the mysteries of life to me. I have no idea how those things work. That's a black hole of science to me. Yeah. Um, so could they make it quieter? I don't know. Well, because I just went through all these studies for a paper I was working on and a majority of them in their conclusions, in their uh, discussion at the end of the paper, they all comment on how the data is likely skewed because the MRIs that they use to gather their material 
it, it's loud. And so yeah. if you're throwing someone with ringing in their ears and a history of loud noise exposure in a loud machine to see what that ringing in their ears does to their brain, I don't know. You're just going to have some messed up results. So yeah. I don't know. I, I'm sure it sounds like the technology is doing these impossible things and there's all sorts of moving parts that are, but anyway, that's just, uh, you know, part of me was like, should I just sideline all of this nerdiness about brains and tinnitus and all that? And just like try to develop a quiet MRI machine. Cause that'd uh, probably be a... make more money. <laughs> there's definitely probably more money in that than trying to uh, convince people that hearing protection is cool yeah um but it's definitely that i mean there's there's a lot of issues like that though the it, mri is not the only one and to be fair the sound exposure of an mri um is relatively brief for most mm -hmm. people like average MRI is something like 25 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. I had to go through a couple that were like an hour, whatever. There's people who go through longer ones, but we're talking about 95. The last paper that I read at least was like 95 decibels or so. So that's safe for you for about an hour or so. So the fact that it, it might be your full noise dose for the day, but it's also like <laughs> how many times your daily radiation dose. I mean, there's other aspects to think about, too, mm. <laughs> that pertain to all kinds of parts of uh, health, I guess. Um, I don't know. That That's a little bit outside my wheelhouse, but it's definitely a curiosity and, and kind of points to the idea that society thinks if they think about the noise that comes out of a machine, it's the 20th thing they think about in the design process. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's because I think they don't, society generally doesn't seem to care whether or not it's hurting your ears because it's just like, that's a complete afterthought. Yeah. Talking about like tools, um, lawn care tools, um, headphones, earbuds. Like it just seems to be an afterthought as far as like, well, how does this actually affect the ear of the end user? Um, yeah, well, I, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy that there's no conversations around this stuff. Like in college, years and years ago, I had, I always kind of had this soft spot. I wanted to be a janitor, like a like a poetry writing art creating janitor and I, I i dabbled in that dream uh when one of my work study jobs was being a janitor nice. and i i fit that total like 80s movies 80s movie janitor profile where i had some headphones on and i was just running a vacuum for Walkmans, yeah. three hours yeah walkman and what what a combination the JD today would be like, what are you doing? You moron, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, a vacuum cleaner is not super loud, but it's not super quiet. Totally. Some of my earliest memories of music was getting a, a um, tape deck, you know, a little Walkman tape player listening to God. It was probably at the time Weird Al, if I have to be honest. <laughs> Which Weird Al? Um, I mean probably like gangster paradise like, oh yeah you know, yeah that was my first early tape. crazy weird al stuff yeah. um and wearing those sony over the ear you know it has a piece of like razor metal as the headband for some yeah. reason um and then mowing the lawn or doing you know as a eight or nine or ten year old like doing 
regular loud kids stuff and just also blasting at the and those volumes you know you just turn it all the way up and listen to it because like what what why would you use a lower volume like I yeah you don't you want to hear the music over the lawnmower yeah yeah obviously so yeah. i mean like yeah I, I don't think that it's at the time that wasn't a thing that's thought about as far mm. as like will this potentially hurt the end user um yeah. now now you know to their credit a lot of and i won't name names but a lot of big mobile device manufacturers and earphone manufacturers are thinking about this and being cautious and being thoughtful and giving good advice. You mentioned uh, putting in earplugs properly, which is another thing that I don't think anyone really pays attention to. I, myself included back in the day when I was playing with my atomically super loud band <laughs> I, I didn't think about it until years later and it, to this day sometimes i'll see a photo and i'll see one of those orange foamies and they're yep. sticking out like i look like frankenstein they're just like uh -huh. sticking out of my ears they're not in my ears and yeah. it'd be three headbangs into a song and one of them would just fall out yeah. which means i was never putting them in properly and i, I wasn't had doing anything yeah 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 i had no idea um yep. Yeah, I wish that I could just go to everybody and teach them how to use a foam ear plug. It takes 30 seconds to teach somebody how to use a foam ear plug. Um, I don't know how well, how effective it is over a podcast, but th the better advice nowadays is don't even worry about the foam ear plugs. Get the type that have the little, like, you know, pine tree looking end, the, the squishy ends, um, and, you know, put get those in your ear, and you're going to be more, more successful the average person is going to be more successful and it's going to be more comfortable they cost a couple more cents it's not a big deal mm -hmm. um over the ear hearing protection is so much more effective too i mean earmuffs style um just because it's easy to use it doesn't take any training so uh, i don't know foamies i think they were the first earplugs to be invented and created and manufactured and they were a huge huge benefit over sticking cigarette butts in your ear and whatever else people were doing before uh, uh, earplugs were invented. But they they haven't done a great service because, again, it goes back to this intuitiveness. If it's not intuitive for the end user, it's not easy to use. And these are the least intuitive devices. Yeah. They really are. So it's unfortunate. It really is. Yeah, and if I could get any advice to a younger person out there, it'd be like, of all the things that you want to save money on, your ears is not like yeah. don't don't scrimp on the earplug. I would always get those giant vats of the foamies, and I would I would try to reuse them for as long as I could. You know, they were worth like a nickel. And I would like, I don't know. And, and they, they lose their resiliency. Like they don't spring back into shape and fill up your ear. I didn't even know that, that you were supposed to experience what is a pretty bizarre sensation of them, like filling up your ear. It's a strange yeah. feeling. Like yeah. it doesn't feel right at first. Yeah. It feels like you're doing something wrong. And like you're told your whole life, not to stick stuff in your ear that's smaller than your elbow. And then it's like, well, then cram this thing in your ear. It is kind of, it feels funny. I have a good foam earplug story from college. I was um, in charge of the live sound stages at my college um, for a little bit because my degree was in like audio production. 
Um, so like a year and a half there, I was running the live sound stages and we had one big stage and two other smaller stages throughout the campus. And we had like good bands come through. I mean, I don't want to name drop a bunch of bands, but like bands that like, like were on the radio at the time, were playing our stupid little like student center to like 300 probably drunk students. Right. And so I was running these stages. It was so much fun. And I was just in the beginning of my realizing, like, this is a problem. Like loud, this this is loud. I don't know how loud it's just loud. Um, My ears have been ringing for 10 years. There's a, there's a thing here. There's a connection. I was starting to get that understanding. So since I was in charge of the budget, I budgeted in boxes of earplugs and I would buy these big, I bought one of those dispensers that looks like a, um, uh, like a candy dispenser. Mm-hmm. Right. And I stuck it in front of the, uh, in front of the, the, um, booth in front of the sound booth, um, at this one stage and just put like free earplugs, like on a, on a sign. And I thought I'm doing the good service. I'm, I'm protecting people's hearing. And like, little do I know, like, I had no idea what the levels were in the room. We never measured that. I had no idea what, the, like, I would just mix, I would turn it up until the amp started to clip and I would back it off a little bit. You know, that's how we yeah. chose. That's uh, what I did. Or like make it so that you can hear the vocals. So maybe that means I got to turn the, the subs down a little bit because I can't crank the vocals anymore because it's going to feed back. That's how I decided level. Um, and then I stuck out earplugs that were terrible for music listening, those foam earplugs. And I thought I was doing a good job protecting people's ears. I've probably damaged more people's ears than I've saved at this point. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That would be an interesting one. I bet I, I would like to see a graph. At some point, I've crossed the line where I've saved more ears than I've damaged. Mm-hmm. We'll see when that happens. But I mean, it, it's a it's a travesty that those are even sold in music stores. Um, now I'm seeing it's better. It's better because there's so many, um, you know, fifteen, ten, twenty dollar versions of those little Christmas tree looking. Um, Edemotic earplugs that are ubiquitous now. It's hard. You can't go to a music store without tripping over 10 of them. Um, and that's good. That's mm-hmm. good because they've replaced the foam ones that shouldn't be in a music setting with these ones that actually do sound decent for music. I feel like I went way off on topic there. I, I feel like we both went way off topic. We started by asking you how you got tinnitus, and I didn't do any of the follow-up as to how like it altered the course of your life. And jeez, uh, Louise, this is so well, got time. I got more to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll just I might even be clever and like edit it to the front or something, but. Yeah. Um, that was okay. Fun, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, I, I, I feel lucky to have you as a, as an internet friend or a real friend, however we want to put it. But because I, I, I feel like most of the strangers I meet don't have the patience to hear me like <laughs> try to dork out over these very specific questions. So I got to get them in. JD, I would do this weekly. <laughs> you would do this seriously. Yeah, we'll yeah. start our own separate podcast called "How I Get How I Got Talking Ears." How I got talking ears. Let's yeah. do it. It'll be um, a sub podcast. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure that won't poach all of our all of our audience. 
So, so I can barely believe. I have a hard time believing this story, and I'm not calling you a liar. It's just it sounds like too good to be true. Like I'm jealous that you got on track as early as you did. You had, you were a musician. Mm-hmm. You got this ringing in your ears. You got musicians' plugs like while you were still a teenager. Yeah. But then you decided to pursue your dream of like music production and you were going to school for that. And so I think there's kind of a section in there that's a little bit fuzzy because obviously being a teenager, you don't really have your brain wiring complete yet. But my thinking at the time and my memory of my thinking at the time was a lot less romantic about it. It was very um, I thought I'd broken myself. Right. I thought that I, in choosing to play loud, I broke my ears. And um, the part of the middle there that is kind of left out is I, I, that really did affect me kind of mentally, where I, I thought uh, at this point my career paths are limited. And shortly after that, I mean, I was really deep into the paint about trying to learn how to do recording. I had like a four track tape, um, which I still got over there little Yamaha like four track tape recorder. So I was doing demos for my friend's bands. We eventually got an, a used ADAT machine. I was recording bands in my basement with a used ADAT. It was amazing. Um, and so I, I went and started working at a local studio, uh, like this really nice recording studio. Um, the people there were super welcoming. I was 15. So I had to get dropped off by my parents to like go do a session and I would be there for nine, 10 hours. And then they would pick me up at two o'clock in the morning. Eventually wow. I could drive. So it was better at that point. Um, I was working like at a downtown cabaret in Rochester, New York as a p- keyboard player. So I just, I went all in with the music world because cynically thinking, uh, I've already basically written my ticket, right? Like I've broken my ears. I already have the, the battle scars that all the rockers have. And that was really reflected by like everybody that I was working with at the time, like the studio owner, um, those were like great mentor, great friend. But I remember him saying something along the lines of like, yeah, we've all screwed up our ears, like welcome to the club. And I think as my teenager brain took that was very much like, great. Well now at least I belong to a, club of people who've hurt themselves and I really saw it as like I don't know the best way of putting this but like 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 it was kind of like self-sabotage a little bit the way that I got into the music school was I only applied to one college and this isn't bragging or anything but I was like a I was a decent student I got good grades I was pretty conscientious through high school So I probably should have applied to more than one school. I applied to one music school. And my thinking at the time was, if I get in, I'll go. Because it was a music production program. It's very unique uh, over at SUNY Purchase. Fantastic program. And my thinking was, if I get in, I go. If I don't get in, I continue working in this local studio and just be a musician. Because I've, you know, like I said, I wrote my ticket. This is what (laughs) I've already... I've already damaged myself, so now I'm damaged good, so like I don't see myself going anywhere else with it. Um, so anyway, that's the, kind of the dark side of it. Um, but dark? Then, I don't know. Like that's that's like my my mentality of like at the time. It was it was not 
it was not the healthiest choices, mm. right? And I think it was led by the fact that, to me, I was a victim of this thing that hurt me, right? Because, you know, I wish that I was an adult when it happened in, this, in the way that I, I think I would have a better perspective on it. It was, you know, kids are teenagers. I'm sorry if there's a teenager listening, but teenagers are dumb, right? We were all dumb teenagers at one point, And that was, I, that was I my was. dumb teenage. Yeah, that was my dumb teenage thing. I, I just said like, well, that's it. I broke myself. Um, I think getting out of music school and into grad school, um, I don't really remember how that started except with that weird thing of buying a bunch of used textbooks um and for some reason i think that was like my my rope to pull out of that um because then i felt like i was doing something like productive to help myself and productive to address the tinnitus and productive to help other people who've experienced this too or maybe even stop people from experiencing it other people who are in music or want to go into music maybe i can actually do something positive and I now this is the nice side of it where I I count myself as like one of the luckiest people in the world because my job is that <laughs> my yeah. job is helping people prevent or at least address it uh, in a quicker way that doesn't involve taking out student loans and changing your entire life. <laughs> <laughs> There's other ways of dealing with your tinnitus. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of I mean. Yeah, it, the two the two sentence version of of my my path or whatever it does sound very um, simple. <laughs> I I I don't know that going to grad school doesn't seem simple. Uh, I, I, I mean, you wear it well. Now. What's that? You're going through the same thought process now. Like, how do you how do you work through this? It's a decision it's a time decision, right? You're, you're basically writing your own sentence mm. for time. Like I will devote this amount of time of my only life on this planet to studying something and eventually maybe helping people in the end. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's a tough, tough sell. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard. And it, and what, what makes it so challenging for me at times, uh, in my own little journey here is it's so complex, so nuanced. There seem to be so many angles mm -hmm. from which you can approach it. Uh, I mean, like we've talked about it, my, what my gut reaction when I told myself I want to do something, I said, okay, I'll become an audiologist because mm -hmm. it seems like I'll get a good understanding. And hearing you talk about the inner workings of the ear and all that stuff, I, I was like, man, I want that information. Um, <laughs> I also want to understand the psychology of it. I also want to understand the neuroscience, the stuff that I did no offense, but I'm hearing sort of like, yeah, it's just complicated. It's it's wires. It, it, there's a lot going on. I'm like, well, what is going on? And um, man, it just seems like there's so much more work to be done. It's a never ending. It's a never. It's, it's a well that it will always give, right? Mm. And and the scientists that I know, the researchers that I know, and some of them personally, who are studying tinnitus and spending their whole lives trying to figure out the answer to that question is like, what is actually happening in the brain? And the answers are 
you know, when I read these papers, my my mind glosses over. Mm. Just the same as when I read like a legal paper or like a you know a, a user's manual for something technical. Like my mind just glosses over because they're using it's mostly acronyms. It's these terms of cells and proteins that I didn't know existed before I started reading about the the use of it in the inner ear. Like, and I'm an audiologist who talks about the stuff to patients, and it's hard to. It's hard to conceptualize the complexity of even a single cell's function, let alone the whole system. And we can, I mean, I think we're also taught as clinicians not to blind people with science. Just because we know a little bit more, you can quickly have somebody gloss over and and stop listening if you stop making it human and personal. Mm. Um, So... I have that in my head too. You know, if I was maybe one year out of grad school, I would want to go more into like, you know, this part of the amygdala is sending a a tonal signal that is that is this whatever. You know, all that stuff is not helping you as a patient or me as a patient like not calling you my patient. Um, it's not helping us deal with our emotions of the tendons. Mm-hmm. And that's why I mean, you know, when we talked before Audiology is great. I love audiology. Any audiologist listening, fantastic, great field, love it. I'm glad that I'm an audiologist. But who can help patients who are suffering or dealing with tinnitus in the in the the doldrums, the worst moments of the the hardest parts of it, the hardest times? It's not audiologists. It's psychologists, mm-hmm. uh, therapists. It's those people who are. <sighs> Uh, who are trained to listen and understand those emotions and deal with kind of the the very strong catastrophic negatives that can come along with um, with these things happening in our lives and to our health. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to, uh, I, I don't want to poke a stick in the hornet's nest or anything. No, I think about how as someone with, Tinnitus. There, I, look, I said it. Um, I'm trying. <laughs> we didn't I'm even trying get into that, did we? I, I'm only like I, I'm like sixty forty these days. Um, anyway, but as someone who has it, I know that's something that's a little challenging for me in dealing with my healthcare providers. Is and I ask all of them. Yeah. Do you have it? Do you have ringing in your ears? You know, I. I ran a course of CBT for tinnitus and oh damn it. I did it. And, um, <laughs> I asked him point blank. I said, Hey, do you have it? And he kind of gave me this. Yeah. I sometimes have it. I was like, no, that's not the same. You don't. And yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's a big reason why I tried to step up to the plate because I mean, and I may be a little ambitious here, but I'm trying to enter the space as someone who's been there and and really understands it and I, with with only a pedestrian understanding of what it is to be a true clinician or or anyone in a capacity to genuinely help someone dealing with such a thing. Yeah. And my inclination is that like one day I might be able to look someone in the eye and say I know what you're going through, or I I can pretend to know maybe better than so-and-so down the hall. And, um, 
I I think that's a big speaking for other folks that have ringing in their ears. It, you know, I, I just think that's a that's a hard thing to to take in is when you're talking to a healthcare person and like you said, they have to sort of smooth things out and not blind their patients with the science and everything. And they don't want to get too dorky about it. And, um, but I, I feel like, and I've seen it reflected in some of the studies that I've read about patient dissatisfaction is is still relatively high when it comes to their response or the the healthcare system's response to the ringing in their ear completely it's super high and and as a person who also i mean my tinnitus has been the most important thing in my life since it started it, it really really affected me deeply and changed the course of my life and given me my entire life, right? I mean, I met my spouse in grad school. I went to grad school because of my tinnitus. Mm -hmm. My children are because of my tinnitus. Like, it's been such an important part of my life. And yet at one point, it was the biggest negative thing in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, and I have to reflect on that. And so when I speak with patients who are going through the acute stage, the really, really rough moments, I, I do that. I look them in the eye and I say, like, like, I've been literally in your shoes. Granted, I was a teenager when I was in your shoes, but I've been in your shoes. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, as a clinician, I've been in your shoes and I've had these conversations with hundreds of other people who've been in your shoes. And it's it's nice to know that you're not alone in this. You're not unique. You're not the only person who's experienced this before. It's something that is so isolating feeling when you're going through it because you think, how could anybody, first of all, how could anybody possibly hear the loudness that I'm hearing in my ears constantly? And then two, if they did, how could anybody be okay with this? Right. That's kind of where all of us land with tinnitus. And I think what it ends up being is like this give and take as a clinician where you have to balance self-sharing with how am I actually helping you? Because there's some people who react really poorly to that self-sharing. Yeah. They don't want to hear your story. It's about them. Yeah. Yeah, Because they're going to. And, and so there's, you know, there's, there's layers to that. Certainly. I think I wanted to reflect on a couple other things that you just said too. You said um, about, Oh man, I should have taken notes while you were saying it. Um, but <laughs> you said about um, poor, poor kind of outcomes or appreciation of of the service. Not that's not the right word. How how were you saying about? Well, I said patient dissatisfaction. Satisfaction. That's yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You can edit that out so it sounds like I'm not an idiot. Um, <laughs> poor satisfaction with a with a healthcare encounter, and I think that comes down to um, people not being able to be heard or tell their story. Yeah. And I've, I've experienced that myself where I, you know, and maybe I've shared this with you before that for like 15 years of my life, I wrote, I, you know, where it says like on a health form, like any other health conditions, I wrote tinnitus, like in all capital letters, <laughs> like underlined yeah. it and drew yeah. a little angry face next to it. And I stopped doing that. Like almost 10 years ago, I stopped doing it because it's no longer the most important acute thing in my life. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's just hasn't, it's not that important in that way anymore. It doesn't require me to feel like I need to like shout it at somebody and be like, listen to me, this is important and shake them by the shoulders. Um, but when you encounter, if you're feeling that way, all you really want is the other provider, the person who's sitting across from you um, to say, hey, tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. And to take a moment and listen and just hear your story. That's all you want, but they don't got time, unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of cases, and I do, I respect and appreciate this and I feel for these providers and a lot of cases they don't have patience for it either because mm. how can I say this? Maybe I don't want to go down this road, but I'm going to try. And then if this fails, you can just snip, snip, snap <laughs> this right onto the cutting room floor. But the thing that is here, I'll ask it to you. What is said by most physicians, sorry to throw physicians under the bus, but what's said by most physicians to the patient when they're told, when you say I have tinnitus, they say, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. Learn to live with it. Oh, it's like, it's like telling a loved one to calm down when they're, yeah. it's just like the worst thing that you can say, right? It just, it sets our prickles up. We just get ready to like get our little fists in a ball. Um, so the longer version of that sentence, the paragraph version or the, or the page long version we don't really have to go through all of it because the end result of that page long version is, and you will learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it starts with, I appreciate where you're coming from. This is a tough experience. You're not alone. It's not something you've done. You shouldn't feel guilt surrounding it. It's a, it's natural to feel guilt. It's natural to feel those worries. It's natural to worry that you're losing your hearing. Here's what it actually is. Tinnitus is this physiologic thing that's going on probably in your ear, maybe in your brain as well. And that's benign. It's not a disease. It's a symptom. And we can get over it over time. You can learn to habituate. You can learn to let it be part of your life kind of like feeling up, you know, we, we say all these words like, you know, the way that you feel your shirt on your body, you forget about it. Eventually your brain has habituated to the feeling. It will also habituate to this. Mm -hmm. You've gone through worse in your life, whether you feel that way right now or not, you have gone through worse troubles in your life and your brain has gotten better from those as well. And it will learn to live with it eventually. Yeah. So the end result of that longer actual compassionate response is still the same sentence. So I kind of get where like the, the grumpy physician or the grumpy audiologist just goes, Oh, another tinnitus patient. Yeah. You'll learn to live with it. <laughs> Next. Um, Next. But because they're right, but it's the wrong approach. The, all the same. It's interesting. It, it seems to kind of provoke this, almost like a grief response where you, mm. you go through the stages of grief and 100%. you're, I, I, having just gone through them myself, it's yeah. kind of a miracle that I don't remember them in order, but you know, you get angry, <laughs> you start to like blame people, blame yourself. And having that phrase booping around my noggin for the past two years or whatever, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. It, it's effective, right? Because 
instead of having that clinician sit there and hold the patient's hand through like a very difficult process, which could take five minutes, it could take five years. They basically give them this like Ikea furniture wrench that's specifically fabricated for that purpose. And it's like, here, go put your stupid cabinet together. It's going to take a while and you're going to get frustrated. And, and yeah, it, it like gave me so much frustration. It was fuel for so much of my early endeavors in my whole tinnitus journey. Um, It's why I have this freaking podcast, but um, you know, as time goes on, I sort of get it. And I'm sort of, it's just one of those things. Like when you're on the other side of the fence, you're like, Oh, that's not so crazy over here. But like, mm-hmm. but before you got there, it's it's very difficult to understand. It's very, very hard. And that feeling like there's that being immersed in the unknown is scary it's challenging it's very difficult um completely i hear i hear that entirely and i think like the succinct version of all that is this is kind of what what the medical field has been teaching providers to say unfortunately and i would like to and i say this any chance that i get to talk or teach or do a conference or anything i just say the same thing which is if you currently say learn to live with it to your tinnitus patients keep saying that but before you say that say something else and after you say that say something else and here's what you should say before you say learn to live with it say tell me more about that and then listen Just shut your mouth and listen for a minute. Then tell them, you will learn to live with it. And this is how. Mm -hmm. These are the steps. Here's some resources. All right. Don't just leave them with that. Because that's kind of like, I don't have a great analogy for it. But like if somebody's freaking out because they're afraid of heights, I I have that as, uh, as well. Um, somebody's freaking out on a high building, just saying like, Hey, you'll be fine. And then walking away. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help. Hey, how are you feeling right now? Okay. You are going to be fine. This is how you're going to be fine. Suddenly it's a different conversation. Did it take longer? Yeah. It took twice as long to have that conversation. So clinically that's the frustration. That's Mm -hmm. where people have a hang up with it in a clinical setting because they have such short limited time. But tinnitus patient who is acute is not the person to cut those couple minutes off of that's the person to run a couple minutes behind and to sit down and actually spend the time right and show some empathy show some compassion um yeah just hearing you say it here in this conversation i mean i'm i'm pretty good these days but just tell me about that i'm like oh that's so nice like that's all it takes and and like you said you could even I wouldn't say this and like, please, everybody listening, this is not what clinicians should do, but you don't necessarily have to give a hundred percent attention to what the person says after that, because like, if you need to write your report at the same time, that's fine. Right. The important thing is that I'm able to tell my story as the patient. I'm able to tell my story. Yeah. And 
you will hear any red flags that make me think, you know, this is a tumor in my head or something like really like, because that's also what we're all worried about when we get tinnitus for the first time is like, is it something really bad mm-hmm. or is it, am I just stuck with this noise? Mm-hmm. Um, and the point of all that is to have the person tell their story and be heard for mm-hmm. just a minute. And, and it really does change the dynamic of that appointment and, and the outcome. It changes the satisfaction with the outcome. hundred percent. It does. Mm. It's a big thing. Let me tell you this story too. Um, cause maybe this relates. I, I mentioned my back thing and this is maybe one of the reasons why I got rid of, uh, writing tinnitus on my, um, medical histories is about 10 years ago or so I threw my back out really bad. And this isn't a unique story. Everybody throws their back out. Um, and, you know, I'm like in bed for several days, just the classic lower back garbage. And that became pretty regular. It happened regularly for me. And in between, my back wouldn't feel good. It would feel bad in between those really bad moments where I'm like in bed for a couple of days. So it became part of the me story. Part of what I told myself about Frank was that Frank has bad back, right? And I got really grumpy about it for a very long time. Um, because it carries with it all this horrible feelings like guilt and shame. And like at the time I had small kids, small babies, and I, for, for days or weeks, I would not be able to carry the baby or hold the baby without like sitting and being in pain. And like, this was drawing so much of my attention. And so I went to see all these doctors, right? Just like everybody with bad back does went to see all these doctors. And I had this one really nice guy who literally said to me, okay, you're going to have to learn to live with this. And my alarm bells went off. My my old, I thought they were like in a box in the basement, wrapped up, Mark Tinnitus trauma, like just packed away in my memory. And he just said, you're going to learn to live with it. And like, I I reacted like in a very like animal way, like, well, how can you say that to me? And he goes, listen, everybody's back hurts. Backs are badly designed. Humans aren't made to walk even or live for over 30 years. Like this was a, this is a, we're using the body differently than it was designed to to be used. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. I've got a bad back too. It hurts. I used to be, I used to be an athlete. I can't do that anymore. I used to be able to mow my lawn or shovel my walk. I can't do that anymore. You will learn to live with it. It's just pain. It's not going to kill you. And that, honestly, that was like six years ago. And it took me until maybe last year. I was just about to get back surgery, actually. Um, And I wanted to do like one more shot of like dealing with this myself before committing to the surgery. And I was learning all this stuff about, this gets a little bit like heady, but like all this like mindfulness for chronic pain um, aspects. And as I was listening to this information and learning and reading these books, i like a light bulb went off my head and I was like, I'm suffering because of fear of the future and shame about the past, Mm. not because of the pain right now. The pain hurts, but pain is just pain. Mm. Pain It's just a physical sensation. Same as a taste. A taste is just a physical sensation. A light is just a physical sensation. A sound is just a physical sensation. And suddenly this light bulb went off and I was like, it's exactly like tinnitus. It's just a physical sensation. It doesn't 
cause me to die. It doesn't ruin my life. The thing that hurts, the thing that really causes you to change your life and be negative and hurt emotionally is the fear of the future. What's this going to be for me? Am I always going to be broken? Uh, Have I ruined my life? Can I ever play music again? Will I ever hear silence again? Those feelings or the shame and the, and the guilt of the past, that feeling of like, um, I did this to myself. I should have known better. Why didn't I listen to, uh, people who told me better? (laughs) Why did I, why would I do something so stupid? Why did I mix loud for all these years? Why did I wear headphones when I mixed for hours and hours? Um, why did I take up electric guitar and stand right next to the drum set? Like, why, why did I do these things to hurt myself? And I realized like none of that is what's, none of that matters right now. Cause it's just a physical sensation. So just deal with it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I've been so much better in the last year for my back because it hurts every day. Some days it hurts a lot And I don't care. I just don't care anymore. And like I've been exercising through it. I don't care anymore. It hurts. Whatever. Just exercise through it. I'm not going to break. I'm not going to die. Whatever. And I realized like this is the same thing I've been telling patients for tinnitus for 10 years. And I had to like learn it myself. (laughs) You know, and you see me right now. I'm at a stand-up desk. Mm -hmm. If I sit down for more than 10 minutes, I, I get cranky. And I get really frustrated because it hurts a lot. Um, I work from home now. Part of the reason driving, driving hurts, right? So I do go out and see patients and I travel to the office at least once a week, but working from home allows me to not have to be sitting in the car as much. So like you change your life, you learn to live with it, quote unquote, but that, that, that's not a sentence. It's a paragraph. It's a, it's a story. And I think that's, that's what I wish that providers knew about, Tinnitus. Gosh, I brought it all the way back, didn't I? And cut. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know. I, I, I said that I wasn't going to get super serious, but I, I'm sorry about that. For my own expression, I find uh, contrasting some delirious humor with like a really stark uh, bout of seriousness. That's the way to go. That's how you get them. Give them the contrast. Yeah, I heard a good uh, good line that said the funniest movie has 10 jokes in it and the least funny movie has 100 jokes in it. Yeah. Like yeah. you you make those make them really work. Yeah, yeah. Give them 5 yeah. minutes of grumpy just to land them with a a big that's, kicker at the end. Yeah. Um but anyway, that's that's just something I wanted to get out. That that was great. That's it. That's it, Frank. We're done today. Today. Get, stay tuned for how I got talking ears. Um, no, Frank, I do have to go. Uh, yeah, I, I really packed up my day. I've got a lot of stuff to do. I'm going to go on a nice walk with a new friend. But um, nice. it's just one of those things. That's how you adapt. But uh, I want to thank you so much for yammering forever about all these dorky things. (laughs) I, I feel like we had a great time, but we just skimmed the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I I keep thinking like you and I just need to like get an FAQ question from listeners and like, just go down the list or something. Let's go. Let's do it. 
Uh, I hope I didn't keep you too long. Um, no, yammering, no. But um, this was this was a blast. I love what you're doing over there, JD. I, I wish you uh, all the luck, all the best with school. I wish you all the luck and best with your your journey on how to help people with this. Um, I'll be watching and listening more specifically. Um, but I mean, the show is great. Keep it up. Don't, don't go changing the wheels on that. On that don't go. Yeah. And same to you, uh, NPR of, uh, of <laughs> hearing related podcasts. You guys sound so sharp. So sharp. Uh, sharp, like a, like a knife in a drawer. I'm going to put our episode, this episode, just through distortion, the whole episode. <laughs> and then like a wah pedal. You, know? yeah. you can record, you can take my, my track that you have and just record it playing out of your phone like 40 feet away and be like, I don't know, Frank's got terrible audio quality. What's yeah, wrong with that? It's terrible. I don't know. <laughs> he needs to get his shit together. <laughs> um, phoning it in, literally. <laughs> All right, Frank. Uh, yeah, I got to go, but thank you so much. Man, I appreciate you. This was thanks for asking me to do this. Thanks for doing it. <laughs> All right. All right, man. This is a blast. Yeah. Same. All right. Yeah. Uh, later. See ya, man. No. No. Frank, what a guy. Thanks for coming on, Frank. We go way back. Actually, we go back to this past summer. I just released the Justin Pearson episode, and honestly, I was getting a little overwhelmed with how many folks were seeming to tune in all of a sudden to the show. And I got two messages at exactly the same time from two different people. One, yeah, one was reason with good reason criticizing a meme I had posted. I, we had a good conversation about that. The other one was Frank. We learned some things about each other and this great friendship blossomed. I was uh, working that week. I remember it was raining late summer and I, I just uh, listened to all the Talking Ears episodes all at once. Well, not all at once, like the old Aqua Teen Hunger Force DVD menus when you would select play all. It would play all the episodes all at once. I didn't do that. I listened one after another and they were so good. And I was like, how is it that there's someone else in the world doing a show like I want to do? Like there's some good shows out there about tinnitus and hearing health. Really there are, but yeah, I, I love talking ears. So grateful to have Frank take the time to chat with me. And I am so grateful that I'm here doing tinnitus awareness week in the way that I am got good company for the rest of the week. So I'm going to check out for now. Uh, it was really nice hanging out with y'all. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. So let's go get them. Have a good one.